Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by TBA rabbinic intern Nico Losarelli. So it says the Hanukkah stories, right? We, interestingly enough, Hanukkah is a minor holiday, right? Uh, I sort of mentioned this earlier today, and this is something we hear every year. You know, it's, Hanukkah feels very important because of how it lands sort of in the season, let's say the, the other holiday season, right? Um, but it's also become so important uh, in American Jewry for kind of for that reason, right? There's like, we found, we have this like winter holiday that we celebrate that sort of happens at the same time as other things. And also it became really, it was really, it's become really important um, with the founding of the state of Israel and, um, and sort of a, a shift towards uh, sovereignty and the ability to sort of defend ourselves in our own land. So it's really sort of gained this status that I sort of think goes beyond what we say when we say, oh, it's just a minor holiday. It actually is a significant holiday. I won't say it's a major holiday because that's not really, wouldn't be accurate, but it's significant, right? Um, and interestingly enough, it's about the story of the Maccabees, right? Um, and the Maccabees, the story of the Maccabees come in a couple of books, um, specifically we're going to talk about Maccabees 1 today, but it's it's so funny because the book of the Maccabees is not part of our canon, right? It's not part of the sort of codified Tanakh. It's not one of the books in one of the, in, in our Tanakh at all. It's apocryphal, which means it's a work that was not canonized, not included in that official collection, is sort of like hidden and outside. The, uh, the word apocrypha actually means um, it comes from this idea to hide, right? But we have this story about Hanukkah that we all sort of seem to know, and we all have our versions of it, right? What are some, uh, if you could just shout out, what, when you think about the Hanukkah story, just like in a word or two, what do you think of? Lighting candles, great. Have making latkes. Making latkes, I heard making latkes too. Oil. An oil, great, great, great. We're thinking about oil from this morning, great, yes? And the jelly filled donuts, of course. Jelly food donuts with ganiot. Anything else? Anything else? Eating eating dairy for Judith. Eating dairy for Judith. Cool. Cool. And I'm sorry, I missed what you said. Maccabees. The Maccabees. Great. Great. It's funny. I uh so we heard the we heard oil, right? Great. So it might well, I'm not gonna give it away. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna read a little bit uh through uh the book of Maccabees here. We're not gonna read it all. Uh we're gonna start on Verse 28 of uh, Maccabees 1, chapter, uh, yeah, Maccabees 1, chapter 2. Um, and it's going to be sort of story time here. And so you'll see the, the Hebrew and the English side by side here. Maccabees was originally composed in Hebrew, but we have no existing um, versions of it in Hebrew. And it really only survived in the, excuse me, survived in the Greek. Um, and this translation is a, is a translation. There are many translations that have been done of the Maccabees into Hebrew. Um, and uh, so, so don't take, you know, what you see in the Hebrew as like, oh, this is the Hebrew because it's not. It's a modern translation. So just keep that in mind. And so is this English translation. It's a little bit, it's a little bit antiquated, but it's still really cool to have. So I'm going to start reading at verse 28. And I want you to just think about what are you hearing? What are you not hearing? What's, and what's standing out to you as I read this? Okay. And, and uh, Matatiahu cried throughout the city with a loud voice saying, whosoever is zealous of the law, 
and maintaineth the covenant, let him follow me. So he, so he and his sons fled into the mountains and left all that they ever had in the city. Then many that sought after justice and judgment went down into the wilderness to dwell there. Both they and their children and their wives and their cattle, because of afflictions increased, uh, because of afflictions increased sore upon them. Translation's a little bit, you know, little bumpy, but we'll go with it. Now, when it was told, now when it was told that the king's serv- the king's servants and the hosts that it was Jerus- at Jerusalem in the city of David that certain men who had broken the king's commandment were gone down into secret places in the wilderness, they pursued after them. So people fled the king's decree and they went down into the wilderness. And having overtaken them, they camped against them and made war against them on Sabbath day, on Shabbat. And they said to them, let that which you have done uh, hitherto suffice. Come forth and do according to the commandment of the king and and ye shall live. You will live. If you follow the order, you're going to live. I'm going to take us a little bit out of the old English here as much as I can. But they said, we won't, we're we're not going to come out and neither will we follow the king's command to, to violate Shabbat, to profane the Sabbath day. So then they came, they gave them uh, the battle with, they gave them battle, they fought with them. Um, So, and they didn't respond to them. They neither cast a stone at them nor, you know, stopped the places where they, where they were hiding. But they rather said, let us all die in our innocency. Uh, Innocency, heaven and earth will testify for us that ye put death, put us to death wrongfully. So they, that is the, the Greeks, the Syrian Greeks, rose up against them in battle on the Sabbath day, and they slew them with their wives and their children and their cattle to the number of a thousand people. Now when Matatiahu and his friends understood, they mourned for them. And one of them said to the other, if we do as our brethren have done and fight not for our lives and, and laws against the heathen, they will now quickly root us out of the earth. At that time, therefore, they decreed saying, Whosoever shall come to make battle with us on the Sabbath day, we will fight against him. Neither will we die all, as our brethren that were murdered in, that secret, in those secret places. So I'm just going to pause there. Um, and I just want to hear a couple of reflections. We have, so um, as I'm sure many of you know, this is also recorded for a podcast. So we have a, that microphone, which doesn't project into the room. But I ask if you're comfortable with it to, um, to use this microphone. And maybe Joey can help just passing it up and down when we respond to questions. Um, and just say your name at the beginning so we can all get to know each other. Just your first name. Um, thank you, Joey. Um, so with this first section of the story, what, what stands out to you here? If anything. The people were willing to, to die for Shabbat. They weren't willing to, they were willing to say, we will not fight or not do anything, mm-hmm. um, at that time right. to prepare, to put, to, uh, to honor Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Great. So people were not willing to violate Shabbat. They were actually they essentially became martyrs because they weren't willing to violate Shabbat. Thank you. What else stands out to us? We see the theme of, so we see Matatyahu's reaction. What, what is his reaction to this, to this event? Um, that he's, uh, <clears throat> that he's telling people whoever is on his side to follow him. Sure. Okay. So he says, yeah, he's trying to gather some supporters. Right. Um, but I think what stands out in this moment is he sees that, uh, that his brethren, his people wouldn't violate Shabbat when they were, when they had to go to battle. And he said, if we do that, we're going to, we're going to die. Like we're, we're, it's going to be over for us. So he says, if, 
people come to fight with us on Shabbat, we're going to fight back, right? Which is a pretty significant um, statement because as we know, sort of like violating Shabbat's not something that we tend to do or try to do unless it's very, very, very urgent. Right? Nefesh. Pichuach Nefesh, exactly. So this is actually the uh, um, the earliest, one of the earliest instantiations of the idea of Pichuach Nefesh, of being able to override Shabbat or the festivals in order to save a life. Great. So I'm going to read uh, read through. Thank you, Joey. Um, and I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I'm going to start right here at uh, verse 22 in the next section. And after that, Antiochus had smitten Egypt. He returned again in the 140 and 143rd year and went up against Israel and Jerusalem with a great multitude. And he entered proudly into the sanctuary and took away the golden altar and the candlestick of light and all the vessels thereof and the table of the showbread and the pouring vessels and the vials and the censers of gold and the veil and the crown and the golden ornaments that were before the temple, all which he pulled off. He took also the silver, the gold and the precious vessels and also, he took the hidden treasures which he found. And when he had taken all away, he went into his own land, having made a great massacre and spoke very proudly. Therefore, there was a great mourning in Israel and every place where they were, so that the princes and elders mourned. The virgins and the young men were made feeble, and the beauty of women was changed. Every bridegroom took up lamentation, and she that sat in the marriage chamber was in heaviness, and the land also was moved for the inhabitants thereof. And all the house of Jacob was covered with confusion. So we're going to flip forward now to uh, verse 39 on the next page, which is about in the middle of the page. It says, her sanctuary, that is the temple, was laid waste like a wilderness. So at this point, uh, the Maccabees have sort of come up and they've, they've, they've defeated the, the Greeks and they're now they're seeing sort of the state of the temple. Her sanctuary was laid waste like a wilderness. Her feasts were turned into mourning, her Sabbaths into reproach, her honor to contempt. Uh, you know, actually, I may have... Maybe that's not exactly, let's just keep reading. Um, As had been her glory, so was her dishonor increased, and her excellency was turned into mourning. Moreover, the king Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people, and everyone should leave his laws, so all the, and so all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. Also, many of the Israelites consented to his religion and sacrificed unto his idols and profaned the Sabbath day. We haven't gotten to actually them discovering the temple. I jumped, I, I sort of jumped the gun, but let's keep going. Um, so many of them also sacrificed unto idols and profaned Shabbat. But the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that they should follow the strange laws of the land and forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple and that they should profane the, Shabbat, uh, the Sabbaths and the festivals. And now jumping over to verse 49. And whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he said, would die. In the selfsame manner, he wrote uh, he to his entire king, his whole kingdom, and appointed overseers over all the people, commanding the cities of Judah to sacrifice city by city, meaning they had to sacrifice, you know, they had to sacrifice to foreign gods. Then many of the people were gathered unto them, and to wit, everyone that forsook the law, and so they committed evils in the land and drove the Israelites into secret places. So essentially what's happening here is the king has issued this decree, abandon the Israelite religion, abandon your temple, sacrifice to our gods, uh, violate Shabbat, violate the festivals. Now continue on with verse 34. This is the longest segment. So um, Now when Lysias saw his army put to flight and the manliness of Judah's soldiers and how they were ready either to live or die valiantly, he went to Antiochia and gathered together a company of strangers. And having made his army greater than it was, he proposed to come again into Judea. Then, Judas and his, then said Judas and his brethren, 
Behold, our enemies are discomfited. Let us go up and cleanse and dedicate the sanctuary. So dedicate, right? This word Chanukah is dedication. It comes from the verb Lechanech, which means to dedicate. So that's where this is coming in here. Upon this, all the hosts assembled themselves together. So the army came together and they went up into Mount Zion. And this is when they see the sanctuary. And when they saw the sanctuary desolate and the altar profaned and the gates burned up and the shrubs growing in the courts as in a forest uh, or in one of the mountains and the priest chambers pulled down, they rent their clothes. They teared their clothes like doing Kriya when, when we mourn and made great lamentation and cast ashes upon their heads and fell down flat on the ground upon their faces and blew an alarm with the trumpets and cried toward heaven. Then Judas appointed certain men to fight against those that were in the fortress until he had cleansed the sanctuary. So he chose priests of blameless conversation, such as had pleasure in the law, who cleansed the sanctuary and bore out the defiled stones into an unclean place. And when they consulted what to do with the altar of burnt offerings, which was profane, they thought it best uh, to pull it down, lest it should be a reproach to them because the heathen had defiled it. Wherefore, they pulled it down and laid upon it stones in the mountain of the temple in a convenient place, until there should come a prophet to shew what should be done to them. Then they took whole stones according to the law and built a new altar according to the former and made up the sanctuary and the things that were within the temple and the hallowed courts. They made also new holy vessels and into the temple they brought the candlestick, the menorah, and the altar burned offerings and of incense, incense and the table. And upon the altar they burned incense and the lamps that were upon the candlestick they lighted that they may give light in the temple. Furthermore, they set loaves upon the table and spread out the veils and finished all the work. So now they've, they've reclaimed the temple. They've, they've filled it up again with all the vessels, including the menorah. So before, before we read on, don't go ahead here. What, what do you notice about this story? I know it was long, so if nothing, that's totally fine. <laughs> what, do you, what, what do you notice about the story? What's, what's there? What's not there? What's missing? Well, they're, they're repairing the damage that was caused. Right. Great. So they're repairing the damage that was caused. That's part of our classic story. Anything else? I'm just going to repeat a couple of verses here and um, let me know what you notice here. If I can find it. Um, so this is verse 49. And upon the altar they burned incense and the lamps that were upon the candlestick they lighted that they might give light in the temple. Something very big is missing here. The oil. The oil is missing. This is the story that we all know is the miracle of the oil that should have lasted for one day that ended up lasting for eight days. And this is in the book of Maccabees, right? Right, it's legendary. It's a legend. So it's a story, sort of legendary story. So, yes. It's about the festival of lights. About the festival of lights. Awesome. The miracle of... What happened in the Israel when, um, when the, the temple was destroyed? Mm-hmm. They were able to restore, and then said they only had a little bit of oil to that wouldn't last right. for eight for eight nights. And that's and the this fa- and that's the famous story. But that's that story doesn't exist. But in what we just yeah. read, which is interesting, right? So let's move on to the next source, which is Shabbat twenty one B on the next page, um, and the Gemara, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, no, actually, this is going to be a different source. So Shabbat 21b, it starts with my Chanukah. What is Hanukkah? So I'm going, to, I'm going to just read this really quick. And why are the lights killed on Hanukkah? The Gemara answers, the sages taught in Megillat Ta'anit on the 25th of Kislev, the days of Hanukkah are eight. 
and one may not eulogize on them, and one may not fast on them. What is the reason? When the Greeks entered the sanctuary, they defiled all the oils that were in the sanctuary by touching them. And when the Hasmonean monarchy overcame them and emerged victorious over them, they searched and found only one cruise of oil that was placed with the seal of the high priest, undisturbed by the Greeks. And there was sufficient oil there to light the candelabrum for only one day. A miracle occurred, and they lit the candelabrum from it, from, from it eight days. The next year, the sages instituted those days and made them holidays with recitation of Hallel, which we did this morning, and special thanksgiving and prayer and blessings. So what do we notice here? What is here? Yeah. Right, it's more like... Mm -hmm. So, right. So, but the main thing that we're saying here is that this is a shortened version of the story. It's it's a lot shortened. So, so let's not... I want to sort of pull us back to the... uh, the text really i think this is an interesting conversation maybe one for for after the shore but yes please go ahead yeah. right so we're saying that like just the greeks touching the oil actually made it unusable it was no longer sanctified that's interesting but and the main thing here is that they actually do mention the oil right we don't get that in the uh in the first book of maccabees we get it in the gemara and they even ask it's kind of a funny question my hanukkah what is hanukkah i don't know what is that you know so they tell the story and so we see the story that we know right, that we all tell every single year, um, which I think tells us a little something about storytelling. Um, yes, go ahead, please. So it's hard to say, and the next source that we look at, um, the next source that we look at, we're going we're gonna to see it appear again, but because of when the Talmud was compiled and because of when this next source, there's like a 700-year window in which it was potentially written, it's not exactly clear which came first, which I think is what makes this kind of cool. Um, so now we have this, we're going to move on to the next, next source here. Um, this is many pages and I want to just be mindful of our time. Um, I have highlighted some parts and not others, but let me just tell you a little bit about this work, Megillat Antiochus, which is also called Megillat HaChashmonim, the, 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 the scroll of the Hasmoneans or the scroll of Antiochus, right? So this is another apocryphal work and it recounts the story of of Hanukkah um, and other military victories of the Maccabees and it was potentially composed between the first and the fifth centuries which is what makes it sort of difficult to figure out was this the original sort of like recording of the the miracle of the oil or was it the Talmud it's not really not really clear because there's sort of there's some overlap there and what's cool about this particular work is that yes it's apocryphal um, but it's actually read in a lot of Italian synagogues still, in the same way that we would really we would read uh, Megillat Esther on Purim, right? And it tells the story of the military uh, campaign, the military victory, the oppression, and then the oil. So it actually sort of brings these brings these two things together. What we don't we we don't have the idea of the oil in the Maccabees. We do have it in the Gemara, and then we have then we, then we have both military victory and the oil story in Megillat Antiochus. Um, so I'm just going to sort of speed through this. So in Megillat Antiochus, so we have this decree that was, that was banning the Sabbath, new moon, and circumcision. So we already know that. And then if we jump down to verses 36, 37, we have this, the moment of the Israelites reacting and saying, let us go to the cave um, and, and let's, let us run away and, and not be forced to violate Shabbat, right? But unfortunately, their plan was betrayed by this specific person called Bagaris who then sent people down um, and said, uh, said like, 
you know, essentially do as we do, leave your God, violate Shabbat. And then people of Israel uh, said, we, we remember what we were commanded, right? To not, uh, to, to not violate Shabbat, to not violate the festivals. And then Bagris brought, they were, so all these Israelites were in a cave, and this man Bagris bought all this wood and essentially burned them in the cave, which is hor- horrific, um, which is the same sort of a, a riff on the story that we heard in Maccabees. And then again, here we have this moment of Matatyahu hearing about it. Um, but it's interesting here now it says that Matatyahu actually uh, killed a bunch of the people that were coming after them, right? So that's something that we didn't have in First Maccabees or Gomorrah. Gamara. Gamara doesn't mention the battle at all. Um, partially because I'm sure as, as we've, a lot of us have heard, the, the rabbis were like a little bit uncomfortable with this idea of Hanukkah just being about a military victory, right? So then we have this, you know, we kind of ask like, well, where's God in the story, right? So many have said that the rabbis, in their discomfort, decided or, you know, however we want to look at it, look at it said there's got to be a way that God was involved in this. God must have acted in history somehow. Okay, there was some oil. So some say that the rabbis sort of came up with this idea of oil. Hard to say. There it looks, it's, it's clear that there are a couple of different tellings of the story, but it's just interesting to note. Um, so, so just continuing here. Um, so then Bagris goes to Antiochus and he says, t- basically he sort of like snitches on all the Israelites saying like, you, you, you issued this decree and none of them are following it. And if you go forward here, um, the temple is breached. And let's see what we got here towards the end here. Okay, so I'm going to start reading from verse 61, which is on the third to last, or my God, fourth to last, third to last page here, at the bottom of the page. And Matadyahu went forth that day with his sons and fought the enemy. And the God of heaven delivered all the mighty men of the enemy into their hands and slew many among them, slaying all who were armed with swords or who drew a bow all the captains of the army and their lesser officers, so that none remained, for the, rem- for the remnant fled to the distant provinces. And now jumping down to verse 67. We can be some, doing some more jumping around. When King Antiochus heard that Bagris, the wicked, and all the captains who were with him were slain, he embarked upon a boat and fled to a distant province. And it came to pass that wherever he landed, they rebelled against him and called him the coward. And these things, and after these things, the sons of, of uh, the Hasmoneans came into the sanctuary, restored the gates, repaired the breaches, and cleansed the hall of, of the dead in all its impurity. And here we go. And they sought pure olive oil with which to light the menorah. But they found only one little vessel sealed with the seal of the high priest that they knew to be pure. And it contained oil that was only sufficient for one day. But the God of heaven, who caused his presence to dwell in the sanctuary, gave his blessing, and it sufficed to light the menorah for eight days. And that's on verse 78. So this is where we get in Megillah Antiochus, also known as Megillah HaChashmonim, this, this, this story of the, of, the, of the oil, right, which we all know, um, which I think is just so fascinating. I just want to sort of take a couple comments, like, how is this landing with you? Is this... Is this like confusing? Is this blowing your mind? Is this sort of like whatever, you know, um, anything really? So we're saying that sometimes it's difficult to explain what Hanukkah is about. And maybe there's more to it. So maybe it's a much more complex story than just the miracle of the oil. Yeah. Right. Anything else? So we're saying that the 67, there was an old joke about, actually, are, are you comfortable using the microphone? Joy, would you mind? 
It's all right. You know what? You know, if you're going to practice your tight five, this is the place to do it. Not right now, but you know, right. another time. No, it was an old. I hope. Sorry if I get this wrong, but the, the 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 67 war was won by ordinary means and miraculous means. Okay. The ordinary means, God interfered. Mm-hmm. The miraculous means, our military was actually better than their military. Right. So, in this case, we got some of that going on in here too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I see a miracle in this story. This story that a, a you know basically a family of guerrilla fighters besieged a city and mm-hmm. won twice. Right. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, they said, well, okay, but as you said, we have to, we have, to have divine intervention mm-hmm. explicitly shown in here someplace. So we do the oil. Right. But I'm, really, I'm glad you gave these three sources. I wonder what order these were written in. Right. So, have that. Um, I do, so I want, just want to give you a sense of like how these works were dated. Thank you for that. So first Maccabees was written anywhere from like 135 to 104 BCE before the common era. So before the year zero, um, Megillat Antiochus was written anywhere from 100 CE to 700 CE, right? So that's the common era. And then the Talmud was compiled between the third and the eighth century. So that's why I was saying earlier, it's kind of hard to really, I, I could do, you know, probably with more scholarly research, I could have found maybe some more precise dating but like it is kind of hard to say which came first it's kind of like a chicken and egg question like which part of the story emerged first hard to say because of all the overlap um but that's part of the reason why i wanted to give you all these resources and why the sheet is so long because i would love for everyone to like have it and like read it and look at it and sort of think about how it is that we tell stories and how it is that we tell this story and why um because i think that it can it speaks a lot to like how we have experiences in our lives are sort of inexplicable or even historical moments. And we ask, okay, well, where's God in this, right? How do I, how do I make sense of this story, whether it's good or whether it's bad? Um, and it's sort of, it's a, it's a very human form of storytelling. It's a very ancient form of storytelling that, that we actually do in our everyday lives. Um, so I just wanted to offer that as a bit of an exploration of the Hanukkah story to think about um, throughout the rest of the rest of Hanukkah. And um yeah, thank you so much for thank you so much for going on this sort of storytelling quest with me today. It's been a lot of fun. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.